in a year that was never meant to happen, a year so close to shutting shop and closing for business, two teams emerged from the fire and flames to strive for premiership glory. The destiny of Richmond to claim their legacy flag, three in four years. The destiny of Geelong to finally reach the pinnacle after a decade of coming so close but ultimately failing. The destiny of Dustin Martin who could become one of the greatest ever by leading his team to victory again. The destiny of Patrick Dangerfield, who deserves to be here and will stop at nothing to claim his rightful flag. The destiny of these two clubs will be finalised on Saturday and will be decided in one of the great grand finals. By who wants it most? Who can last to the final minutes? Who can outlast the ferocity and scrap and fight and win? This is the story of destiny in the 2020 AFL Grand Final. Welcome one and all to the Grand Final edition of AFL Unlimited. It's been a worthwhile wait as we gear up to one of the most anticipated games ever. What a ride it's been. I'd like to formally introduce my co-host, Chuck. Mate, you've been the thinking man all year. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. Can't think of anything to say, but <laughs> you've, brought, you've brought us some amazing. Uh, you've brought us some amazing thoughts and ideas throughout the year. Tiz, you're the analyst, and you've been hitting us up with the stats and all the amazing behind-the-scenes stuff all year. How are you? I'm well for a Monday, mate. Um, a little bit tired, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it, no doubt. Absolutely. And Shorty, you're you're our fan and. Every time we watch the game together, it's always your emotions that we're either riding riding high or sinking low when we're watching with you. But uh, we we live like in that case, mate. And uh, sorry about uh, hitting you on. Yeah, my my arm, is, the my arm is still uh, sore from last year when, to, uh, when we watched we the finals to, together. Yes, so. yes. It's good to have you all perfect. here together, boys. There's a bit of news to get through, but we're finally here to grand final week. It's pretty amazing. Super exciting to be here, boys. Grand final, the, the big dance as we've suddenly decided to become American all of a sudden, as they all say now. <laughs> I'm still waiting for Craig Hutchison to insist on calling it the championship. We'll get to the news. And obviously, Brownlow Brown happened. Um, I don't think there was any surprise as to who was going to win that. Our boy Lockie Neal, in case you guys didn't watch. Uh, got up and about. He beat Travis Boak to second place by 10 votes. So basically the equal highest margin ever. I think they said if this was a 22 game and they like allotted for it, he probably could have got like 40 votes or something, which is... He would, he would have scored exactly 40 with 1.8 votes per game. Or yeah, isn't that... That's, that's nuts. <laughs> so he had 10 best on ground performances and then just a one-point game in one of the loss. That's absolutely ridiculous to think. What do you think of that, guys? Do you think it's it's slowly become more inflated, you know, and, and more votes every year for singular players and how easy it is to get them? I think so. I feel like we do see the absolute stars just shine more and more. I'm not sure if it's the fact that there's a stack more media scrutiny on who the stars are and, and who we're going to be looking for. Is it because there's more umpires so they don't sort of miss things anymore on who actually dominates? Or is it the the way the game's played a little bit too that sort of system-based and you've generally got your superstar guys that 
the game plan's often built around. So, yeah, but I think you're right. We've seen some big tallies, you know, sort of thinking Martin, Swan. I think uh, there's been some big ones in the past. So he definitely would have gone very close to 40 if we had a few uh, few more rounds to go. It was unprecedented when Swan yeah, pretty much notched up 34 and Paddy got 35 and Dusty got 36. So definitely the stars are getting noticed more and I feel like they're, they're almost on the umpire's radar, um, definitely more. And if they're in doubt, they probably just give them a vote or two here and there um, to sort of really bump it up. That's not to say they aren't fantastic Whoa, players. Oh, you're saying the umpires right. are just throwing votes around really nilly. Uh, well, sometimes I don't know they can uh, a little bit, but... Yeah, like there, there are absolute bankable players. Like I feel like Dusty definitely gets a good run for his money. Probably yeah. polls better than what he should, but that's okay. <laughs> not, not biased at all. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that definitely. It, whether the game's changed, um, the superstars are uh, widening the gap between the next best uh, crop of players. Also, feel feel like it takes at least a year to be noticed because Sam Menegola, uh I don't think he even needed to bother showing up for Brownlow uh, nights. He, he had multiple games where he had mid-20s and a goal or two next to his name, but um, didn't register much at all. So uh, interesting developments there, boys. Yeah, it's, um, there was a few discrepancies throughout the night, as, as we've mentioned, but I think obviously Neil was clearly the best player all year, but obviously, yeah, quite a massive um, margin. I thought, I know Shorty, you were pretty keen on Boke to get up and about and you know, Neil just absolutely blitzed him and 20, 21's a pretty yeah. good score from Boke. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the margin might be four or five votes, but not that many. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there, there was a couple of other announcements on the night too, Chuck. Yeah, obviously, uh, goal of the year and mark of the year came out. So, goal of the year, I think we had a little bit of a poll previously and I think we kind of agreed that Dacos... Probably was a deserving of winner. He beat out um, Paddy Cripps for his... Uh, he did run a bit too far in that one, Cripps, in my opinion. And <laughs> after the siren. But I just wanted to give a quick shout-out. I thought Brett Daniels and Adam Shera had two of the best goals of the year that kind of got snubbed in terms mm. of the voting. What did you guys think of the goal of the year? I hated it, mate. I thought Cripps had the best goal of the year. I, uh, <laughs> I was rattled, mate. Nah, I know you boys know I love Paddy Cripps, but generally, generally I thought he did have the best goal. I'd probably prefer that style of goal, I guess. So I guess it comes down to personal preference. But, yeah, so I was a little bit cut on the night, wasn't I, Tiz? Well, it's hard to say. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. well, tell yeah. me something, mate. What did you think? Uh, no, no, you're pretty cut. <laughs> uh, but... Oh, again, it comes it comes down to preference ultimately, and hopefully they do change this around to the AFL AFL personnel to make this decision because I feel like it could have been just a bunch of Collingwood fans just going, yeah, Dacos, sick. But I think Jack Nunes, after the siren to win the game from arguably this maybe the hardest or the second hardest kick for goal after the siren in a game of football ever doesn't get goalie. I think that's quite. Uh, Quite an interesting uh, non-decision there from from the umpire. So you uh, like to sort of feel as if the context of the game in that regard means a hell of a lot because as a goal itself, it was a very nice goal, but I don't think we've ever seen a set shot winner. But do you like the fact that the pressure was as intense as it can be? Yeah, you, you miss, you lose. And I, I feel like in when they've graded goals in the past and especially goals of the week, it's like, okay, the context behind the goal matters a fair bit and it'd be nice if it did sort of come, come into fruition because often it is individual brilliance, but 
Paddy Cripps is pretty hard to go past as well. Like that was a quite a freakish um, sort of bit of play and got uh, Carlton back into it. But yeah, that was uh, yeah. Contextually, <laughs> Nunes's kick and and subsequent goal would have been clearly the best one. I would have thought that for it was the, pretty uh, close the, when Dacos kicked it, wasn't it? It was pretty crucial. Uh, yeah, but there's nothing closer than after the siren. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dacos did get it out to like maybe seven points or something, but. Still critical, but Nunes is like ultra critical. Mm. But, oh, it's oh, good that there was three worthy candidates then, and we're having to split it instead of one just absolute winner. Oh, that, that reminds yeah. me. So, sorry, boys. Uh, Charlie oh. Dixon's goal throughout the year, I against really Sydney. loved. I believe so. Yeah, yep. where he sort of turned ran around three again. Or was against <laughs> Richmond, um, <laughs> where he just snapped it from the pole. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yep, one of those good. two, I thought, were really good. But yeah, yep. uh, there you go. I thought Nunes, but that's okay. Great. <laughs> Touch on a point there, um, Tiz. I believe you said you wanted a panel. While the, to my knowledge, while the initial votes is a, a weekly round thing by fans, the actual winner is determined by the All Australian Committee. So that's probably where you've said. Mm. It's probably why they got it all wrong. Interesting. Right. So that is interesting. To process that the All Australian Committee gets the vote for the goal and mark of the year to determine the actual winner, whereas mm. the the nominees, the weekly winners, comes from the. Um, the fan voting. That's why I pay the big bucks at AFL Unlimited. Choice the thinker. <laughs> the thinker. Well, I'm the thinker, boys. But and no, by big bucks, I'll just buy him a Mars bar at the footy next time we go. <laughs> That's that. While we are talking about uh, mark of the year and some controversy, Walsh won it out with with what I thought was a pretty courageous mark, but just they they opted against the high flyers this year. First, I don't think Bobby Hill and and Cameron did get as high as you've seen in previous years, but I was on the side of leaning towards Bobby Hill, as no, I thought was getting um, copying the knock from behind while also taking the specky. But keen to hear your thoughts, boys. It was actually very similar to Andrew Cracker's mark of 2011. So similar sort of distance, knees in the back and had a defender on the back as well. And we, we know that that one won, but probably shouldn't have won. So I don't know what my point is there, but I like Bobby Hill. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have any super strong thoughts, I guess. Uh... I would have been. I probably thought Cameron or Hill would get it, to be honest, just because I thought people might prefer the high flying type. We probably don't often see the courageous one get it. It's often in there, but tends to get overlooked for whatever reason. But yeah, I didn't think it would get up. I thought it was a bit of a surprise, but it didn't phase me too much. It was a very mm. good mark. Yes, uh, Samuel did very nice with that. Uh, courageous uh, back with the fly with Charlie Dixon. Uh, coming from the opposite direction, <laughs> pretty pretty scary. And by all reports, he had no idea that he was. And I think if he did know, I don't think he'd be going back with that. <laughs> Maybe not going back with that type of courage. But yeah, probably better. They, he didn't know then. <laughs> yeah, I was. Oh, absolutely. Ignorance is bliss sometimes. Sure. Uh, Cameron, I thought that the uh, I suppose voters were going to go in that direction. But yeah, I'm pretty happy with that sort of um, yeah winning mark of the year. Yeah, it's a fair call. But just over the night overall, while we're talking about surprises, did anything come out to you and, and, and make you go, oh, really? I didn't expect to see that. One that caught my eye was was spotting that Toby Green actually won at the Giants' um, uh, votes. He led the uh, count, a of, yeah. A lot yeah. of people had Whitfield going up there. Whitfield actually only got four votes total. Which is crazy, isn't it? Which was, that was a big surprise in my eye. Did any... Um, come to your fancy guys? 
The Brownlow's always got a few quirks like that, doesn't it? I mean, I had that many multis going. I nearly <laughs> called in. I nearly told work I wasn't coming in on Monday, but uh, none, none of them came through and I won about four bucks. But um, <laughs> They work I've quit yeah, for about half a minute. Yeah, probably. Um, I think, look, I'm sure a lot of people looked at the Brownlow team's markets and Raul was absolutely one of the shortest ones and he ended up getting pipped by Greenwood. I don't think anyone thought Greenwood would do I it. But... I actually picked Greenwood, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting me know, mate. <laughs> well, Shorty, I know I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago about there was an odd somewhere about, you know, Caleb Daniel to score over 10 votes and I was like, well, you'd absolutely put your house on that and I think he only yeah. scored like six as well and... Man, a goal of my man only scored four or five and I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's funny how some players, they just tend to poll and, you know, you see Gorn getting a lot of attention, but then I know Tice and I were focusing a bit on Nick Nat. I thought he had some absolute standout five games votes. and he's he's so recognisable in the way that he just feeds the midfield and he's dynamic. I thought, he, you know, how can you miss his brilliance? But <laughs> it went unnoticed, <laughs> I did. guess. <laughs> <They did. laughs> Jake Lloyd uh, for the oh. Swans, he, he was constantly like getting, you know, nearly 30 touches every week yeah. and uh, he barely got any love there. But um, yeah, Menegola was obviously, oh um, yeah, Langs. He was uh, probably one of the biggest disappointments, I suppose, with just his output each week was like fantastic. He's amazing. It? I couldn't, but like, I still think he can win our best and fairest and, he, and he's polled four votes. Even Taylor Adams, like only polled nine and mm-hmm. he was, he's, he's yeah. obviously won Collingwood's best and fairest. So yeah. Mm. yeah. And um, I think there was a bit of interest in the market without Neil yeah, and yeah. sort of Lions versus Zorko as much to the talk. Am I right in saying Zorko didn't poll a vote? <laughs> we might have that's to crazy. That, that's crazy. That's, so I'm that's sure really he would have polled. Yeah. I suppose Neil obviously had a lot of threes, but Brisbane won a few games by a little bit. So there's two spots wow. for a few people. You're to... 100% right, Shorty. Sorry. You're 100% wow. right. Yeah. That's crazy. It was Lions and then Berry. Jared Berry got eight votes. Yeah, I remember looking at about 17 different predictors and they all had Zorko getting at least three or four. So Big Lawson also no votes and Brad Shepard no votes. So there's a few <laughs> ones that are just absolutely rattling. So Jordan Ridley yeah. also no votes. While you're talking about... Oh, my God. ...votes and defenders and, and forwards and that langers, it made me think, because we have said it a few times, it is the, the midfielders' award, as, as they say... Um, I wanted to gather a bit of data on the big men in the, in the league just to see how many of them actually got acknowledged as the best on ground in that sort of term. So mm. I did a little bit of uh, a look. Oh, here we Ruckman, go. six times a Ruckman got the three votes across mm. the entire night. Bet you five seven, of them are gone. <laughs> seven mm. times a, a key defender, sort of a tall defender, got it. And 12 times a key forward slash, you know, tall forward managed to score the votes. If you mm. compare that to, to the mids and then, you know, the, the forward flankers and that, that's that'd be paling in comparison. And, like, I, I actually was quite surprised to see a few names get the three votes. I was happy to see, you know, Hawk get it a few more times than you'd expect and that. But mm. I still Luke think got a couple. They're, very, yeah. they're very undervalued when it comes to, to their impact on a game, the key forwards and the backs and the, and the midfielders. Did anyone jump on the board, Jed Buse, to outpoll Dane Zorko market? Or she <laughs> 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 wins. Oh, yeah. our, our old boy Mitch Brown gets the two votes in that game for the day. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> our old boy. Oh, yeah. Golly gosh. Crazy. Speaking of tall forwards, Chuck. 
you've, you've got some news. Oh, yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe he does. Well, I, don't know. I don't know if you do. I don't know. I, I, I was wondering what you were thinking about when it was the recent news that just came out, but I'll, yeah. I'll go on. Our boy uh, Lynchy. Uh, why, hang on, why is everyone our boy? If anyone's yeah. not our boy, it's Lynch is not our boy. I think it was Shorty that was the one that threw the alcohol at him across the boundary. <laughs> 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 He's lucky it wasn't a hot dog or one of those stale chips. He would have got stabbed by it. <laughs> I'm surprised. The only thing more expensive than that kebab that those guys um, spent the Tigers for. <laughs> Was this was a drink? Was a drink at a, at a footy game, and you guys got away and thrown away a beam and coke all over Lynch. It's a. What did you yeah. think? I think it's a terrible look. No matter what you think of a player or, or their actions, you can't be you know throwing drinks at people. Or yeah, assault. it's bloody terrible. I mean, Jimmy probably costs about twelve bucks. So. <laughs> what a waste! <laughs> Absolute waste, I would have thought. <laughs> No, oh, I, yeah. I, it, it almost sounded like a stage publicity stunt, to be honest. Like Lynch gets you know, thrown <laughs> alcohol on him and then he consoles a crying young fan. It's like, shut up, just get off the field. <laughs> no, in all, in all honesty, I, I didn't actually see the incident, but the fact he even went over to that young kid. But yeah, it was good, good on him, Lynch. But um, yeah, nothing mm-hmm. really to say about it because it's like you know, he's just killed eight people during the year and he's like, oh, he's helped one old lady across the road and sick, he's forgiven, but no worries. <laughs> Wow! I was going to say, sorry, go ahead, yes. go Chuck. You're good, mate. I was going to say while you're talking about um, <laughs> acting out of character in and Lynch seeming to be the good bloke, I was going to say something from the Brownlow night. Did anyone catch Gillan McLaughlin's inside joke when announcing one of the the three voters? Did anyone catch that? For Jack well, Gunston, when he was giving Jack Gunston the three votes, he said, "The son of Ray and Mandy, Jack Gunston." Yeah, I was like, I no that's the weirdest time for a guy who's so serious and takes that quite seriously. It was weird to do a little inside joke there. That is weird. <laughs> I, think, I think I think Jack's father Ray used to work in the AFL admin's office, but but even then, it's an odd moment it's to just chime out. First time, first time in history to just crack jokes while you're doing the votes. Very weird. Very controversial from Gillen. He's a he's a controversial man, but uh, so so is Lynch. Uh, he definitely falls in that category. And oh, my conspiracy theory is Damien Hardwick threw the um the, <laughs> the drink on him. <laughs> um, yeah, look, oh, it's it's probably not the best look of all time. We're not exactly Lynch's best friend, so we're not saying. <laughs> what, what are we saying? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, who is if you had a gym oh, name? Or... Well, I'm, yeah. If anyone deserved it, it's this bloke. <laughs> I think it's about time we got stuck into the anyway. serious stuff, Tiz. So if you want to take us away, speaking of Richmond and Lynch, there's a little connection there. But we'll get stuck because we've got a couple of massive prelims to get through. And then obviously we've got a massive, massive grand final uh, preview to get to. So Tiz, take it away, my friend. Well, prelims, we absolutely love them, uh, especially when we win them uh, for the first time in a long time. Port Adelaide had Richmond, and it was Richmond by six points. Dara Fair, once again, uh, between these two sides, very tough. Uh, but the Tigers outmuscled the power at home at their home deck. Uh, Richmond's midfield dominance was stark and had a major play in the contest. Port didn't do themselves many favours, bombing it inside 50 uh, straight to Richmond defenders for most of the night, and it was especially uh, bleedingly obvious late. Uh, Port had a fair bit of the play, but couldn't convert inside 50s. Uh, 20% efficiency compared to 43%. So um, 
when you're getting uh, shots of goal one every, one every five times, it's pretty tough. That, the conditions were tough, but that's what Richmond do. They, uh, they're efficient, um, nonetheless. They belted them in clearances and the centre clearances, boys, unbought Adelaide-like. It was 11-4 to four in favour of the Tigers, and they've been like the 17th-ranked team for centre clearances, and they've just absolutely toppled the, uh, I suppose, yeah, number one in the comp for uh, clearances. Nank was enormous, 13 touches, 10 tackles. He got the tentacles, four marks, and I reckon three were in the last five minutes of the game when it was on the line. So uh, that was very frustrating to watch on um, there. Dusty took control. He got 21, uh, kicked two. Rosie was really clean. He kicked a couple of goals, 14 disposals. Needed him to look out of place there. And Ebert, obviously his final game, uh, was courageous as ever. And symbolically, his final moment was um, trying to stop a goal and, and getting concussed in the process. So... He got um, 18 touches and seven tackles next to his name. But, um, yeah, a tough night. And uh, Richmond, once again, into their, oh, I suppose, what are they into now? Their third grand final in four years. They just find a way to get it done, don't they? I mean, they just, like you said, with the clearances, it's not their go. But when it's required, they find different avenues to goal and out of the middle. And, yeah, it wasn't pretty. At times you thought Port were on top, but when Dixon kicked that goal from long range, you think, hello, the crowd's up, Dixon. You, you couldn't script a better moment for them to get up and about. But probably the last five or six minutes summed it up, wasn't it, where the Tigers just were getting hammered in terms of inside 50s against them, but they were just so well set up. And it wasn't without some poor decision-making by Port Adelaide going inside 50, but you mentioned Nank and... I think short intercepted Vloston and, and Broad was in there as well. So they just systematically, they just know what to do in the big moments. They wear you down. Mm. Gentlemen. Yeah, that was, a, that was some great points there, Daniel. So good. I just forgot what I was going to say. So, um, yeah, it was a uh, really uh, pretty pretty tight and close games and only six goals each. And um, Richmond, as they do, just capitalised late and, Kane Lambert, another one of these unheralded sort of players for Richmond, just two goals in the last quarter, was just the Iceman. And one of them obviously came from a pretty controversial free kick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people would say that that definitely was there. And I think, you know, uh, Rockliffe actually made it look worse than what it was. Hartlip was clearly just desperately trying to keep it in. And Rockliffe didn't even try and get it, which make, made it look terrible and made it look deliberate. So don't blame Hamish oh. Hartlip, blame uh, Tom Rockliffe. Langers, I think Kane Corns is knocking on your door right now, mate. No, well, I, I, I think Kane would agree with me. He's, he said that Rockliffe was within half a metre. That was his point. But, yeah, he was. But he didn't even try and get the ball. He could have at least stretched a hand out and that would have helped. But Yeah, just on that point, I just I was on the side of that they probably would not be calling that deliberate probably eight, nine times out of ten. Um, and it was a very, very big moment and it and it adds up in the end that sort of thing um you know there's there's little Boy, things throughout Richmond. Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> but no, as you said richmond tends to they tended to lift um just they they just seem to always lift to the level that they need to be at to win the game mm. even if they look poor or they, they don't look like they're playing their best. They just find a way to, to kick the goals, the, the important goals. You know, another case of 
there was another one where it was dribbled out of the pack. I think, was it Rioli or someone dribbled it through the pack, went through a bunch of people and went through for the goals. That like, was Lambert in the, the start of the last quarter. Yeah. Yeah, they always find ways to do that. It's, it's yeah. crazy. And I think, yeah, the big call we made before before the game, obviously in the last pod, was we thought the midfield battle was going to be crucial. And, and I, for one, was on the side that Port Adelaide's midfield had looked big, strong and tough and amazing. I thought Wines, Rockcliffe and, mm. and Boak were going to outbody and just win in every clearance. And I thought the Ruck battle was going to play a big, big game. But in the end, you know, despite winning 45 to 23 hitouts, Port, they lost the clearance. They got smashed. 11 yeah. centre clearance four, it was. So 11 yeah. centre clearance four, 41 clearances to 29 overall. The Tigers just dominated the clearances um, and the Port, Port couldn't do anything about it. I think the last quarter especially, I think it was 16-7 for, for clearances in, in favour of Richmond. And I don't know how many times Dion Prestia was left off the stoppage, just unmanned. It seemed like three, four, five times in a row he was just there by himself. And I was saying with the people I was watching at the time, like someone needs to get on Prestia. Someone needs to get on Prestia. Somebody needs to get on Prestia because he's just standing off the back of the stoppage and no one was paying him any attention. He was just hacking it forward. And one of those hacks forward ended in that uh, the Hartlett ended up getting it out, delivered out of bounds and it was a goal and that was pretty much the game. So They get the job done, don't they? I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Port Adelaide because we'll talk plenty of Richmond, I'm sure, when we discuss the grand final. But... What do you make of the season for Port? I mean, that was a stellar year falling on top of the ladder for the whole year and a great first final, but inevitably they're not in the grand final. What do you make of it? It's really interesting, very interesting, because when you play a home final, uh, obviously first week get the job done there, you're obviously going to have another final at home uh, against a, a quality side. I think, yeah, someone has to get past Richmond and uh, unfortunately it wasn't Port Adelaide uh, on this occasion, I think any other side, they probably get over the top of But when you run into a side, Richmond kind of like as Hawthorne did in 2015, they, they lost the first final. And um, from there, I think they so they lost to the Eagles and they had to come back through Fremantle um, over there in the West and they got the job done there. So they're a side like that that can just win anywhere, anytime, any which way. Um, they would be very proud of their year, uh, but also feel like it's a waste opportunity. But can seem pretty confident for next season, and they've, they've definitely um, all going well on a clean bill of health with Dixon and a couple other key players. I think they'll be knocking on the door of um, yeah top four again next year. But there's no guarantees that he'll even get back there next year. That, that's the thing, and mm-hmm. that's why you need to make your opportunities count when you can. Uh, I don't think the conditions help, but. Uh, Richmond, a bit like Parkinson's Law, they they, oh, they, uh, they find a way. They um, yeah, they, they're like chameleons. So, um, uh, the very good year for Port Adelaide, and they should be very pleased with their efforts. Um, however, they'll definitely be ruining that one, especially so close to uh, beating the Tigers. They were pretty much a kick away from making a grand final. Let's be honest, mm. and yeah, they had a stellar year considering they came from finals and. I think my point I made last week about a team not making the grand final after coming from finals rings true again. But uh, I will, uh, I'll pass it Pump back. yourself over. up, if you know. I'll, I'll pass it back over to Tiz. Uh, we'll bring up your blueprint again, and obviously it's a very maligned blueprint. But uh, the last last two weeks, it's, it's proved to be exactly spot on, Tiz. And I think you were 
getting a carrier pigeon or a messenger pigeon sent up to Queensland and dropped off to uh, Chris Scott's doorstep. So if you could take us through the blueprint, that'd be wonderful. Just uh, doing my form. Thank you. Doing my very best. Uh, so obviously accountable tag for Dusty. Well, he no. got over 20 and kicked two goals. So yep. that's a no. Uh, I'm guessing Grimes had a, had a night out. So uh, he wasn't accountably tagged. Uh, even numbers at the stoppages. Uh, well, I'm going to guess Port Adelaide had the plus one because so often they could bomb it in and so often Richmond marked it. So that means that they've Port have either got a spare behind the ball or a spare at the stoppage. So that's no. Uh, lower the eyes and move the ball in quickly and low inside 50. Uh, if you look at the last, especially the last five, ten minutes of the game, that's an absolute nanny no-no because nanny they no-no. were just bombing long and high and Nank just took 25 marks in five minutes. Um, did not allow Richmond take marks in the D50. That uh, oh, it's again what they didn't do. Uh, tremendous pressure inside the forward 50 um, for the D50. Oh, it looked like it got out pretty easily and especially... It was, it was five marks. tackles oh. inside 50 to Port and six for Richmond. So a, pretty pretty even night. on a wet night. 62 tackles to 66. So Yeah, direct ball movement out of the stoppage. Don't invite pressure with too much handball. I think Port Adelaide mucked around with it a little bit around the ground, trying to be fancy with handball where they just got to, had to gain territory well. So, uh, look, they were winning six points, but... Um, they didn't tick a lot of those boxes. And Chuck, did you have any thoughts on Port Adelaide there just before we move on to the Cats and the Lions? Yeah. With those points, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of they can't just keep booting it in. It's, it's the Tigers. I think I said several times out loud, God, you're doing exactly what you shouldn't do, Port Adelaide, which was just boot it into the back line and allow the, those key defenders to, to take a mark. And, and although, you know, it wasn't necessarily Grimes, I think, Sorry to burst your bubble tears. I think he had five touches and one mark in the entire game. But um, the, the <laughs> defense as a whole, the defense as a whole with Bolton and the whole team managed to, to you know, just to shut them down a bit there. They, um, yeah, and they played into their hands. And especially when it came to the last, you know, few minutes where you're in that rushing sort of just hoping, the kick and hopes, they got eaten up, swallowed up by, you know, Nank did it a couple of times where he just dropped back and took the mark. I, I think it's it's the one thing you got to know is you got to keep that direct ball movement and you got to keep calm the entire time. I know, you know, when there's seconds left on the clock, you want to do that sort of thing, but it doesn't always work out if you're just going to bomb it long. That's that's my main point there. And I'm interested to see about Porelade's future because people say, oh, they're a young and upcoming team, but you look at Boak, you look at Robbie Gray, you look at Tom Rockcliffe, they're not getting any younger, and and this is probably the best year that those guys have had in, in, a, in a fair while. Um, and, you know, Ebert's obviously just retired. You've got to see, do they have the young talent to step up and take those spots? Sam Palpepper has looked good at times, but can he go into a permanent midfield star role? Is what my concern you uh, took the words out of my mouth there, Chuck. I was going to say, I think just quickly on Port, I think it was a huge missed opportunity because to have a final at your home ground doesn't come around often in a prelim and, and, you know, they came so close, but no one's going to care about that in 10 years. They didn't get it done. And I think you're right. <laughs> there is a pretty ageing midfield in there. And I just, I get the sense that they'll, they'll be around the mark next year. But this year just had a feel for, they just got a lot right. They got a lot right this year. They had a lot of guys playing fantastic seasons, which is great. But I just feel like that's hard to produce. I don't look at them and say that's a stellar team. It'll definitely be top four again. I think they were a side that will have a good year. year. And they're going to... They may well do it again, but my read on them is a missed opportunity. I don't think they'll get this close again with this team. 
And Dixon obviously was the linchpin of that, who was probably the, the least injured he's ever been in any season. So yeah, you've yeah. got to sort of back that to not happen again. So, yeah. No coincidence. Uh, they play well. We'll uh, touch on and we'll digest the Brisbane and Geelong game. At oh, baby. Gabba. Oh, what a game this was. <laughs> Absolutely mouthwatering. Geelong by 40 points. So I'll go through my points here. I reckon we'll go into a bit of a break. And then, boys, looking very forward to hearing your thoughts. Absolutely, everybody. But absolutely, everybody. Geelong broke their prelim hoodoo to make it into their first grand final since 2011. Wowee. Yeah, wowee. In the contest, uh, Geelong was super impressive, which essentially decided the entire match. Uh, had the Cats kick straight, it could have potentially been a 12-goal win uh, quite easily. Uh, the Cats put the foot on the throat for four quarters and made the most of their chances as the game progressed. Um, but obviously, yeah, Tui kicking one late was uh, quite beautiful and nearly well, basically all but sealed it. Slick ball movement and good delivery aided the forward line to put together a really nice winning score. Brisbane's pressure wasn't quite the scratch and Geelong were able to do as they pleased. And that uh, leads into a stat we'll bring up very shortly. Brisbane's tall forwards didn't fire, which hurt them heavily. So McStay and uh, Hipwood, one goal, two between them. So that's not going to win you too many finals. Back to my point about uh, Brisbane's pressure. Geelong plus 65 in the uncontested possession. Quite damning. And Geelong did what they do best on the outside and scored a lot of their goals from stoppages as well. Neil was the line's best with 24 disposals, two goals, eight clearances. Abel put together a masterclass and... Um, he got 14, two goals, four marks, and also got a goal assist in there to Tommy Hawkins nice and early. And Langs, you've got some uh, guys as well with Henderson, Parfit, Stanley Duncan. I, I could have mentioned pretty much the whole team except for mm. Luke Dalhouse. So. Yeah, well, th- those, those four names in particular, uh, Henderson and Parfit have been our most consistent players across the f- three finals so far. And I just think when Stanley's playing well, we just looks like a completely different team, to be honest. And... Duncan's been really consistent and he traditionally hasn't had amazing finals in, in that sort of stretch where we lost a few in a row. But yeah, I just think, you know, players like Henderson, who was literally delisted last year and Shorty, I know that you haven't been a fan of Parfit for a long time or have been a fan and been a really harsh marker. And he's been, you know, he was probably almost our best again against Brisbane, but you yeah, know, that's a harsh marker because I do uh, think he's capable of absolutely, such good things. Yeah. So I'm very pleased with that. The whole team just performed, and you could even go as far as to say that this is the best they've played as a team in you know however long you want to put it. But it, it was fantastic to see, and I'd, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts as well quickly. But um, we'll head into a break just before we um, get shut down. But did do you have any quick thoughts on Parford or Henderson or either of those guys from out of the blue? Henderson has probably shocked me. I mean, I think... Look, <laughs> I, well, I mean, you call me up on par, but I certainly deserve to be called up on Henderson. I thought yeah. he was probably too slow for that lineup. He still makes me nervous against a Richmond forward half, but you can't fault what he's done. He's as safe as anyone in the air, and uh, he actually is biting off a fair bit with the kicks. He's, I've never seen him kick so aggressively at times. So mm. he's been something I didn't think we'd have in our... Um, in our armory, but he's come on really, really good. Anderson has, yeah, definitely delivered the goods. He's really bankable to take some really good intercept marks down back, and it doesn't mind um, 
having a bit of a kick here and there and sort of take it on. And he's really good one-on-one as well, especially when there's reasonable pressure up the field. And Parfit played a, just a really good game. He just loves loves the tackles. I think he got seven. Stanley looks, when he's dynamic, I feel like anything's capable for the Cats. And Duncan um, quietly sort of racked up 22 and his ball use is, um, yeah, really impressive pretty much most of the time. And we didn't have him in the prelim last year along with Hawk and he was a welcome addition with Hawk. So... Absolutely. No, and you, you mentioned well. Stanley already there, and I'd, I'd love to get your um, thoughts, Chuck, on how you think Reese has gone. Yeah, Stanley has been absolutely really crucial to this Cats team since he's come back. I think he, that was just his third game, you know, back in a row since he was out for it for several, several weeks with a stint of, of injury. And I think when he's been in the team, it's been a lot more important for the, for the Cats, and they've been able to do a lot more. He allows Blitz to. While Blitz does still get to do the occasional hit out and ruck contest, he's not as you know forced into that role of having to do more ruck work when when Reese is on in the team. Um, and Stanley, he's just he's really good around the ground. Um, he's not just there to do you know to win the tap and get it to someone. I feel actually confident when Reese Stanley has the ball and he needs and he's in a contest. I feel like he tends to get a good handball out to another player or find space for them. Yeah. Um, and it's been really amazing to see his growth. I know a lot of people have always kind of maligned him. When he first mm. came over from St Kilda, people did, you know, have a bit of confidence for him and were a bit keen. But then, you know, when it was that battle between between him and, and Zach Smith, it kind of became, oh, you know, the the best of two duds is what people used to kind of try yeah. and say. I think now that he's gotten form, he's actually been able to have several games in a row and get and be trusted, he's got the confidence and he's absolutely tearing it up and he's got one of the most important players for this Cats team because without him, the whole lineup tends to have to shift and change roles to, to accommodate, accommodate for it. I don't know, did you guys see that sort of you know, imp- yeah, improvement when he's in the side? I'd... The best, the best oh, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. Geelong, the, the best thing that happens when we win is when Stanley gets it out of the middle and just takes those two loping steps and just absolutely bombs it inside 50 short. It, it always results yeah. in something delicious. Yeah, absolutely. And he strikes me as a guy who is a confidence player. And I think, like Chuck said, they seem to have given him the faith. And you're right, he didn't seem to thrive. And some players do when you're in direct competition with another player. Some people live for that and find another gear where I just feel as if maybe he's the sort of bloke that has been just told, you're our man, Reese. so let's lead us through the finals. And he just looks to be confident. He's found a bit of form and he's run with it. So, yeah, he's a crucial player and, and he'll be super crucial against the Tigers because I think their ruck department is probably the, the weakest part of the whole side. Cup that, Nate. Yeah, Nate yeah, was just bogged the other night, but that's all right. <laughs> no, anyone can be bogged if you let him do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one if we'd be smart him, about it. Did have we, 10 we tackles, should, or, or they were doing the other Exploit him. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just t- take Reese up forward and uh, show Nank how it's done. But I mean, Brisbane here, boys, we were talking about opportunities with Port Adelaide playing their home ground. I mean, Brisbane had a direct. Uh, yeah, Tiz, I just want you to make sure you oh, go oh. as hard as you want to. Don't hold back on Brisbane here. Oh. Just make sure oh, if you've got any barbs you want to throw out, just just for anyone listening, oh. make sure you. Oh, my God. Throw it. Uh, all, oh, my all, God. All I wanted to say, mate, we were talking about opportunities with Port Adelaide. Uh, Brisbane had a red carpet to the most dream possible setup to win a premiership to play in their own backyard. 
and uh, they failed. They, they, they had 10 wins uh, at home this year, 10 wins straight, along with four going in and obviously five zip now. Uh, it's a massive, massive opportunity gone. I, I don't think it gets any easier that for an interstate side to get a home grand final in their, their state's pretty... It's pretty rare, rare. I mean, it's happened once in 150 years of football. So um, I think, yeah, they'll, they'll be ruining more than any club this year. And, and I reckon they would have fancied themselves against the Tigers as well. They obviously didn't win by too much in the first final. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that gives the Cats a bit of confidence if we can uh, beat Brisbane comfortably and Brisbane beat uh, Richmond reasonably okay. So, um, look, in all that, serious they, though, yeah. is, I think um, I think Brisbane just weren't ready. I think they're still a reasonably young team, and I know I said that about Gold Coast during the year, and Shorty shot me down for that. But they obviously <laughs> have the talent, and they'll be around for a few years to come still. But the, you know, you see instances like Lions and Berry arguing with each other, and clearly just shows that they're not a mature team yet. But they have all the talent. You know, probably one of the most talented lists in the league if you look at. Hipwood and Cameron and, you know, Blinds and Neil and players like that. But I just don't think they they were ready just yet. And I, I don't think, you know, not saying Geelong is going to win next week, but I don't think they would have beaten Richmond anyway next week. Um, mm. But, yeah, mm. what are your thoughts well, on yeah, that? Yeah, they're, they're still trending upward, I believe. I think probably Port Adelaide, my comments there, I, you know, there's no guarantees they'll be up and about next year and I probably doubt they will be. I have a fair bit more faith in Brisbane, but... You know, like Tice outlined, if you get this far and the stars align the way they have, then it's an enormous missed opportunity. And, and of course, when you lose prelims, they always are. But I, I think Brisbane, as you say, there is a fair bit of talent there that probably still have some building to do. Uh, I think they wouldn't mind adding a Danaher to the side if that does pan out that way and if they can get his body right. So there they could still be some upside. But I'm a big believer in if you're there strike when you can because there's no guarantees you don't get hit by injury next year there's no guarantee some team plays an absolute blinder in the qualifier or an elimination and they were there they had their chance and they failed and they just were so poor in the contest so yeah they'd, they'd be shattered i think you're too right there short um and it, i i actually like the boldness of fagan i believe he actually you know brought up Danaher in the presser and said, you know, I think mm-hmm. Danaher is going to add a lot to our team next year. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so good. He's locking it down pretty much there. And yeah. Yeah, I think there's only room for growth for the Lions. And yes, you can say that they, you know, that this was their best opportunity, but their team is so young and they've got, they've got so much to grow and, and improve on. On the, on the grand final note, I was going to say, I feel like, someone, you know, made a wish and said, please let us have an interstate-only grand final and the monkey paw <laughs> curled. And while technically it is an interstate grand final, it's still two Victorian clubs. The, mm. first, since 2006, <laughs> the first interstate grand final since 2006. And ironic <laughs> that in a, a year of all this COVID rubbish that it's a Metro Melbourne team against a regional Victorian team. <laughs> uh, the the oh. teams that are struggling, well, the uh, state's... They're struggling the most. Yeah. The areas of that state, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria's just turned into two states oh, since yeah. COVID's been introduced. It's Have we got any other, um, uh, any other points on, on this game before we move on to some grand yeah. final discussion? Just one point on the... Um, we mentioned in the pod, similar to what we mentioned um, around the Port and Richmond game, 
we brought up a key point, or Tiz, you wanted to bring up the, the, the defenders and what sort of, how it was going to play out. And I brought up that it was going to play on who matched up on who and how it, how it went there. I think the key ones we thought were Hawkins and Andrews. Was Andrews going to play on him? Mm. I think Andrews was on him for a fair bit of the game mm. and, and played yeah. a really... I thought he was played really well. I thought Andrews did all the best that you know a defender could probably do on Tom Hawkins. It just... Um, it wasn't the key matchup in the end. I feel there were a few other ones in there. Rowan, you know, played crazy well. Um, I said Charlie Cameron was going to be an important matchup. Oh, and and, and we, we talked about this during the game and then afterwards, uh, Langers. But uh, College Ajani, we thought, oh, mm. that's an odd choice. We wanted, you know, an O'Connor or someone with the speed. But yeah. in the end, that, that extra that extra reach from his arms, you know, allowed him to, you know, to block some more contests and, and have an impact at the end of the game. I was about to, like, press the big red panic button when Cameron was just out the back about three or four times in the first and the start of the second quarter. And <laughs> I was about to explode because Cameron was just, like, leading Coladashny to goal a few times. And Henderson came in a couple of times and actually helped Coladashny really well. And yeah, I've got to apologise to Jake because he played fantastic against Cameron pretty much from the second quarter onwards and absolutely blanketed him. So um, what an absolute um, hero Coladashny is. You know, he played on Dugowie last week and he'll have, he had Cameron this week and then next week he's probably got Dusty Martin now. So he's in for a bit of overtime if all things go away at the end of uh, this month. Yeah, and, and Darcy also, Gardner as well was a laid out, wasn't he? So that's that was a big matchup that we would have discussed. I don't think that was. Um, I don't think that had a lot of bearing in the end, to be honest. Short because yeah. oh, it's not wouldn't like have made much of a difference. No, but, uh, if, if Dangerfield you know, kicked, helped. you know, three and we won by like a goal or something, maybe. But Dangerfield didn't really have had a lot of forward influence on the scoreboard. But uh, they might have adjusted was, to that uh, news that Gardner was out anyway, Chook. I was gonna say on that exact point, Gardner coming out. It was was it, it was Payne that came in for him, wasn't yeah. it? Or, yeah, he did pretty well he actually. He played a really good game. I feel like he intercepted so many balls that were coming into the fifty from from the Cats. Like I felt like in that first quarter and that first half at least, when a footy was coming in, it was either Payne taking the mark or or Harris Andrews getting there. So mm. for a young fella, I thought he actually stood up quite well um, under the pressure. I know you weren't happy short that Payne just keep kept seeming to uh, <laughs> outmark um, Rowan and you thought Rowan was going to yeah. cost us the game. We're like, just split, just split that contest. You've got to split that contest. <laughs> yes, I know. Rowan filled his boots towards the end nicely. But, yes, uh, the young man Payne did uh, take some nice marks and I would have liked Gary to compete a little bit better. But uh, all's well, it ends well, as they say. It, yeah, it did. Uh, I suppose Brisbane's defence wasn't too bad in the end. Considering all the supply Geelong gave uh, their forwards and the midfield dominance and the pressure uh, from Geelong in general um, allowed them to sort of have control in our backline. And that's why our backline looked really good. And that's why Cole Jasney conceded two goals and um, why Hipwood and McStay didn't get off the chain. Um, just purely, it, it's so much is on the midfield. It's crazy because when your midfield's not applying pressure, you get these easy looks up forward and you get um, clean ball into the 50 and then Cameron can, you know, get out the back and whatnot. So there you go. Um, that's, um, there's, there's plenty involved there. Absolutely. Now let's, um, let's get into menace, the, <laughs> let's get into the, uh, into the real stuff here. Sorry, as I'm just mucking around uh, with our notes, but Shorty, uh, we're into the grand final. I cannot believe it. Um, there's been some amazing moments for Cats fans, for fans in general over the last few years in grand finals, but, uh, 
take us through what you got. Yeah, I'll just try and compose myself after your comments there in the notepad. But um, yeah, I want to talk some grand final moments, some of the best games. Before we look at the big one where we'll see, you know, history written again. So we are, we'll keep it relatively brief, I suppose, because yep. we've got a massive grand final preview to go. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear it, Tice. You uh, want to take the new ball? Yeah, sounds good, mate. This is going back um, a few years, this this grand final. So um, probably might. And we're going to try and keep along out of this as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And th- therefore, I've gone with um, the West Coast Sydney Grand Final in 2006. It was the second Grand Final I ever saw. And the fact that it was a one-point ball game, these guys had a rivalry like no other. Um, an amazing rivalry that was just so so close since like the, um, the start of like 2005 sort of final series to um, early, mid-2007. But... Um, Look, that game was amazing. It was one point in it um, right at the end. And, you know, you had Eagles got off to a good start. So whichever team got off to a good start, the other team would come back, kind of like Hawthorne and Geelong. Um, the Eagles got out to a really good lead, about 25 points, which felt like a lot more back then. And um, Nick Davis, you know, slowly got them back in the game. He kicked three. And um, Quinton Lynch kicked three. It was a, yeah, it was a ripping game. And it was goal for goal late. It was incredible. And I think... For that game in that moment, I reckon Adam, uh, Adam Hunter's goal after uh, Daniel Chick's smother on Ryan O'Keefe in the forward 50, he did the smother. Uh, I'm pretty sure he got the handball out, did the shepherd and everything and um, allowed Hunter to kick the goal, which was quite monumental. And, um, yeah, that, that, that one was a big one for mine. So there were so many to choose from. Uh, that one sort of stuck out for me and I thought wouldn't be... Uh, cut across by too many of you guys. <laughs> so there you go. 06 training was a good one. Mm. That's a very fair point. Sure. Sorry, to that from you. I just thought while he's talking about Sydney versus West Coast, mm. I'd go the year prior. Oh. Uh, I think that they've both had oh, some of the, the best clashes oh, you've God. ever said, and yet you've just said it then, mate. Yeah. Leo there Barry. You know. Taking it straight out of my mouth <laughs> again for the third week. <laughs> Yeah, what what a moment, Chuck. I mean, I think, did you say, Chuck, that that was the best um, grand final moment ever? In my opinion, it was one of the best. I I was going to say it was the best piece of commentary from a grand final ever, but. um, Oh, new topic, new ball. Anytime in like. I do, yeah, I've got another one. Anytime. um, Anyone mentions the Eagles in the media, I always like in my head. I like, you know, one last roll of dice for the Eagles. Leo Barry, and like cut off that. That when they say the Eagles in my head, I can only just think of Leo Barry. But yeah, um, what what an amazing moment, Chuck! Like just absolutely iced the game, and who knows what happened if you didn't get there and and uh, mark that ball, Chuck. Pretty sure Ashley's hand. Yeah, that's all good. Yeah, my. Oh, Sorry, Sean. My Lord, I'm just gonna say, I love how Barry was the one who actually kicked it back out and Cox marks it, and then he just sprints like a madman <laughs> yeah. from the pocket. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. No, my my uh my one actually involves the Eagles too, and it's a pretty recent one. I'm sure you can probably mm. guess, but yeah, Dom Sheed from the boundary just absolutely breaking every Collingwood's fan's heart. Just an absolute <laughs> dagger through their heart as he nails that goal. I honestly could not believe that he would be able to kick that and he couldn't have kicked it any better. And I don't know what it is about that pocket with Jack Noons and Robbie Gray and Dom Sheed, but everyone just seems to slot it from that pocket. And, you know, that camera angle right behind the kick and it was insane. So that that was my moment. And wowee, what a moment it was. 
Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? I had Brendan Goddard's mark. Actually. Oh, my Lord. Uh, wow. Yeah, which I I feel a bit sorry at times for him because if they had have won, that would have gone. They would have put a statue out and there'd, and there'd be, sta- yeah, there'd yeah. be statues <laughs> and memorabilia all over the place, but they lose. And it, it is still so well known, but yeah. I think it's one of the best marks of all time, let alone yeah, finals insane. marks. But uh, you talk about like the context yeah. of a moment and like, you know, Noon's, Noon's goal after the siren. But, you know, if they win yeah. that, then the context of that mark is insane. Oh, yeah. And I just remember thinking at the time he took it, went back and slotted it. Just the look they had, I thought. They're going Definitely, away here. Yeah. They're going all the way here, but it was not to be. Heartbreak. Yeah, we obviously have a, a moment. I reckon we all rate as truly as our number one. Uh, take it away, Langs. Well, collectively from Geelong fans, the Matthew Scarlett toe poke has got to be one of the greatest Geelong Cats moment, pretty much ever. To be honest. Mm. Mm, um, yeah. Steve Johnson's played a terrible grand final. He's, I think he's only had mm-hmm. seven touches up until that point and just not got near it and goes the most dangerous kick in board that you'll ever see. <laughs> and it's a, on a it's, wet day. Yeah, <laughs> on a wet day in the corridor. He's pretty yeah. much just like, oh, here you go. He's St Kilda, just you know, turn this over and win your first grand final in 60 years <laughs> or whatever. And Ablett, mm-hmm. for some reason, just sits. And I think it was, who, who was it that came and did the spoil? Was it? Zach Dawson. Dawson or Kaczynski yeah. was sort of running. Dawson, yeah. Dawson did the spoil. An Kaczynski amazing was... play from Dawson to come off his man and spoil that, but he didn't. Mm. He got about 5% of it and just knocked it out of Ablett's hand. And the, just the, the, the brain function of Scarlett to um, get it off, off the ground into Ablett's hand. And I think in interviews, Ablett's actually said he didn't realise Scarlett was shepherding him as well. Uh, yeah, good boy. Yeah. Good boy, footy energy's double wingspan eagle shepherd. Ablett yeah, actually yeah. got scared of Scarlet and thought he was about to get tackled. That's why he did that little. He probably could have gone all the way, but he does shimmy, doesn't yeah, he? He does a little shimmy and yeah. just looks over his shoulder because Scarlet's just applying the best shepherd ever in the history of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we yeah. talked about Travis Varco last week, but Varco butters up and handballs to Chapman and also shepherds two players off Chapman's boot, and the rest is history. And what a moment! Yeah, and, and um, Jimmy Bartel was also yes. on his own and. Um, not that it matters now, but he's just a bloke who finds himself in huge moment positions all the time. And, it, and you know, maybe if they went another option, he could have been the superstar hero again, but it was a great moment. I think we were talking last week about the, the down the goal, down the ground vision and Bartel was just in like seven metres of space in the clear, like yeah. Travis, yeah. Travis, Paul, oh! <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Well, boys, we've talked about that grand final moment and I still can't believe it, but, the Cats are in the grand final against Richmond and, and what a preview we've got coming up here, Tiz. Probably, I mentioned it off the top, but one of the most anticipated games, you know, ever. I, I think, certainly for myself, it's an amazing grand final in an amazing year. A lot of pressure, mate, <laughs> um, on both sides. And yep. we're going to discuss the pressures that these sides will face. But Richmond hosting Geelong at the Gabba. It's nice that Richmond... It's their home ground, but it's not their home ground. So it's our back. home ground, mate. Our home ground this time. Uh, yeah. We own the Gabba, and hopefully we can own it on Saturday night. But the differences in the side since last time, it's quite a number of changes, and I'll mention through those. But I'd like to know who's are more significant. So Geelong, since that game, they've now got Stanley, Ablett, Rowan, Selwood, Simpson uh, in the side. Richmond now have Broad, Asprey, Edwards and Preston. So some some pretty handy ins. Who do you guys think are more significant? Start us off short. 
I think it's probably um, a much of a muchness because they are such quality names coming back in and you could almost mount the case they sort of cancel each other out. But I do think it probably favours Geelong just a little bit more, more on the fact that I think Richmond's system probably gets it done almost no matter who's in there. Of course, it helps having those stars. But I think if two of those guys are back, three or one, I think they're still putting together an amazing performance where I think for Geelong, they really need those guys in. So that's not to say it gives us an advantage. Maybe it just brings us back to the pack in that department. But I would slightly go to Cats on that point there. Looking at it, I would would probably be going for the Cats too. I already mentioned the importance I think Stanley brings to this Cats side and, and what he brings overall to the team. But, you know, the fact that they've just brought in roughly, you know, 15 All Australians into the side and it's just two players... Um, is is really important. Ablett and Selwood is just amazing. The experience, the, the calm head and the ferocity. And then, you know, we saw that goal Rowan kicked against Brisbane. He can pop Boy. up and do anything if he, if he really wants to. Um, Simpson is a bit of a just a... He, he's, he's classy, really skillful mm. player, but I don't think he, you know, compares compared to some of the other names like Prestia and, and Edwards, of course, but it's still a, it's a, it's a great-looking lineup. I think Geelong's does beat out Richmond's um, dust there. I think one player for Geelong is about 50% worth of that, uh, the context of that question, Tiz, and I think that player is Gary Rowan. I watched Ooh. the uh, I watched the Geelong-Richmond game from round 17 or whenever it was, and Nank, uh, sorry, Nank, Grimes and Bolter were absolutely tag-teaming Hawkins, and there was a few times where it actually came to ground. And not that it's his fault, but Ben Jarvis was just there and shouldn't have been there, and he was not providing any any tackle pressure at all when the ball did hit the ground, and he wasn't providing any blocks for Hawkins. So um, that is the most important role pretty much in our team, which is insane to think about just this kid from Sydney who's played terrible finals can can be the most important player in our team to allow Hawkins to do what he does. And as soon as Rowan went out that night, I thought we were in big trouble and they brought some kid in. I thought we were even in more big trouble. But um, that's an insane in for us. And Soldo and Stanley out is the other big one, I think. And I think I was talking to you short the other day about Stanley playing really well against the big lumbering type Ruckman. And I think Stanley's got a pretty much tag Nank and not let him drop back and get the ball to the ground where I think our tackle pressure in the forward line has been really good the last couple of weeks and um, make Richmond pay for it. Yeah, um, Stanley, obviously, I think Stanley and Rowan, I agree with your point. Rowan's yep. probably nearly got the most important role grand final day because he's that second tall. He's got to help block for Hawk. He's got to, you know, be leading up and down the ground, you know, like Jonathan Brown sort of style you know, back in the day where he's sort of like that Tom Lynch um, for what I think he still plays for the Crows. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. That role, <laughs> that sort of intermediary role between sort of midfield and forward, he's got to, he's got to make sure Grimes doesn't mark. He's got to make sure Voston doesn't mark. Um, Bolter, if he, if he ends up on him at, at random times, but Stanley, I think is a massive in as well. He, you know, when you've got Radigalier in the ruck and Blitzarves on his own, like it's, it's, it's a much different look and, you could see Nank intercept mark after intercept mark, and you just you just go, why is Radigalier leaving that, or why is Jarvis not you know manning up? And I think Rowan would be much more attuned. Ablett with with that um, precision and now surround goal. Selwood obviously the, the the heart and soul of the club. Simpson's absolutely slick and his moves are really good. So Richmond's ins are very good, but I'm short pretty much summed it up perfectly. Like 
Richmond can have not have those four in and it wouldn't really matter. Um, Geelong probably rely a little bit more on talent as opposed to system, but if Geelong get on their terms, I definitely could sort of see some um, severe damage on the scoreboard. But the Gabba, I just mentioned it before, I probably gave it away, but who, who does it favour? I mean, Richmond have lost probably one game there since 2004, so they've got a pretty good record there too, Geelong 5 and Zip this year. Yeah, well, it's got to favour the Cats, doesn't it? I think we play outstanding footy there and... All I know is I'm just glad it's not the G. I mean, that's yeah. what we know. I mean, I think we'd rather play the Tigers anywhere but the G. So Is that AG? It's just not the G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what follows the G that counts, but I'm glad it's at the Gabba. And I, I think that certainly gives the Cats a little bit of an edge. The way I hope that truck that uh, is carrying that bit of turf crashes and explodes on the way up to uh, Brisbane. <laughs> just so Richmond can't say they're playing on the G somehow, spiritually or yeah. whatever. Yeah, goodness gracious me! Um, yeah, hearts out to the families of who are affected by Lang's. <laughs> 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 yeah, I've been real sorry, but they actually already did that. Like that's already been stripped and put onto the ground. But <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. No, that's all right. No, I think it does. Uh, I think this year it favours the Cats. We've made it our home, and um, yeah, we've we've won five straight at the Gabba, and Richmond's been pretty good there. I don't think they played five this year at the Gabba but um yeah it's uh I think it's, it certainly favors the cats and Richmond fans will tell you they love Queensland and, and all that sort of thing so they'll I'm sure I have a counter argument but yeah I, I like to think uh Geelong just uh Richmond obviously played very good footy there and beaten Brisbane from yeah pillar to post over so many years obviously just went down the um the qualifying final but outside that hadn't lost since 2004 Will will favour us just slightly, I think, and our average winning margin there is fifty-seven. So, if we get anything close to that, that'd be outstanding. <laughs> but uh, I don't think we've beaten the Tigers. I'll take one. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll take. Uh, I'll just take the W. I don't care about percentage, but uh, yeah, the Cats, but barely. Um, you, Chuck? I think the Cats. Yeah, you, you've already listed it all off. The Cats have an advantage there. I think, in my opinion, it does depend, though. As I've said before, Richmond have one of the most, you know, largest fan bases, you know, across the country in general, not just in the Melbourne area. So it'd be interesting to see how the how it divides up the, the fan base at the ground. I think Richmond would be outnumbering the Cats fans. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what impact that would have in the game. Nice one, Chuck. Now, these sides play very different game styles in terms of the way control and chaos work. Richmond are chaotic. They move the ball forward at all costs. They put you under enormous pressure in like 2.1 seconds. <laughs> um, and then they just kick goals in like 0.3 seconds. But And the Cats, they, they love their control. And what we have noticed over the last few weeks is the Cats have learned from their mistakes from the past and gone, okay, we've got to take the game on in a final and we've got to take some more risks. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to get the scoreboard pressure on to be able to get a win on the board. So... Uh, boys, obviously, contrasting styles on that front. Uh, I wonder what we think of that and who's it going to favour. And I suppose, yeah, that may, that may give away a tip, but just your general thoughts. Shorty, start us off. I think chaos footy is much easier to execute in finals and under the pressure of a grand final in particular. I think it could be raining it could be greasy i'm not i'm not too sure i've looked at the forecast it looks like it could be damp so that's obviously got to slightly favor a more 
chaotic surge of forward, um, ground level type of play. I'll cry if it's um, raining. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, but so yeah, I think that's you know, Richmond's game style has held up for so long. So I think Geelong will, um, as you say, will look to control it when we can. But we probably were too slow at times when we, um, you know, Richmond's structure of defence is just too good to find too many holes in it slowly. So you've got to take the game on to an extent. So chaos is definitely going to prove difficult to counter with your control. Yeah, I yeah. think you've raised some good points there, guys. Um, I was sorry, Langers, to, yeah, <laughs> to go off there. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, right. in terms of chaos versus control, I think Geelong in the past two games have have shown that that not necessarily chaos, but that that fast moving and and attacking style works so much better for them than when they're going the slow, controlled ball movement. I think yeah. the Cats want to win this. They don't need to be doing control, control. They need to be doing controlled chaos. They need yes, to be I like yes. I like it, sure. running and carrying and, and having someone to back them up, get the handballs and, and streaming through and kicking those goals when needed. They can slow down if, if really important. But I think Geelong's best chances of scoring come when, you know, they're just going all out, you know, superstar style, handballing mm. off and running and dodging players and, and I think that's what they need. So I think the only way to beat chaos is with controlled chaos. Yeah, it's it's an amazing point there, Chuck. And it's funny that the or over the finals we've um changed our games plan slightly and played on probably the most all year from free kicks and um marks. And I think that game plan has benefited us obviously, but we haven't um put that into effect and sacrificed our defensive structures or, you know, any marks um, leaking inside forward 50. So to be honest, it's it's a really good game plan we're playing at the moment. And I think the best way to beat Richmond is to hit them with a taste of their own medicine. And in saying that, Richmond's probably the best team in the league at that chaos game play. And it's how many teams have we seen get picked apart by Richmond? They, you know, they hold, they attack, they get the ball back, hold, hold, attack, attack, attack. And eventually the goals just start leaking through and, they, Richmond just wear you down and you know it's it's literally just, it's going to be like a game of chess to be honest and all the pieces have to fall in the right spot to, to get the team to win in the end but yeah it's it's going to be an impossible to tip this game which we'll get into shortly but um, yeah I reckon you're spot on with that uh, controlled chaos method and analogy. That was one from the textbook Chuck. that was fantastic mate. Um, yeah definitely. Chuck Jennings. I <laughs> <laughs> love, love the way he goes about it um, Obviously Richmond have been successful over a number of years And chaos means that that probably works So uh, the Cats will obviously look to control Probably by default and I think once they've got a bit of confidence And they're winning, you know, getting some um, field position And some, um, I suppose, midfield prominence they, they should be able to control and execute a bit of chaos on top of that uh, As Chuck alluded to there um, earlier on So yeah, chaos has probably got more of a likelihood to um, be much more damaging. And it seems like Richmond just know exactly what they're going to do. They surge it forward, players keep moving it forward, and they just kick goals um, out of nowhere. So, uh, yeah, you'd love you'd love control and get the job done. It's going to take it's going to take it both and a really good balance to, mm. to find a way there. So, uh, th- this this one's uh, a monumental and historical question, guys. Uh, what does this mean for the winner and the loser of the match? So. <sighs> 
there's, there's so much riding behind this that the Cats prelim fails of the past and where the Tigers going with the dynasty. I'll, I'll leave that for all of us to discuss what it all means now. But Shorty, start us off, mate, and, mm-hmm. uh, and digress with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably got more club-based history for the winner than any real grand final I can recall because both clubs, you know, if they win this flag, it's they almost get heaped into a, an era almost. So I know Geelong's goes back a little bit further, but you start sort of talking about four flags in 12, 13 years sort of thing. And, you know, so to, I think Richmond is, as you said, off the top langers, that sort of legacy premiership. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's clear what the winner can define. I think the loser, you know, it's just... It's huge, isn't it? I mean, I think, I feel as if, and we'll probably allude to this in your next point, but it could be more catastrophic for Geelong, I think, yep. just maybe in, in how they are as a club and the age bracket. And, and I just feel as if you can mount the case for, well, how long can the Tigers stay up? But I've been mounting that case for a couple of years, so they just <laughs> seem to keep doing it. So, I, yeah, I feel like the loser, particularly if it were to be Geelong, might sort of, dig real deep for one last crack at it, which we're already seeing in the trade talks where Richmond seemingly just keep on keeping on, which is what I fear. <laughs> Go, Chook. Start. Finish it off. <laughs> I was just going to say, Lang, as you, you've mentioned in the opener before, it, it's going to be a massive thing. It's going to be, and shortly brought it, it's going to be Richmond's dynasty to help them join the likes of the Hawthorne and the Geelong um, from, a f- from a few years back. Um, for Geelong, it's an interesting one because, yeah, I don't know, can you really connect this premiership back to the 2011, what is it, th- three players that played in that game or four? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not really the same sort of team. I don't know if you can kind of compare it, but when you go and say, all right, they won those three flags, then they made, you know, 10 prelims across that period to end up getting another grand final to seal it off, then maybe, yeah, it does make Geelong's team, um, you know, one of the best that we've seen. But just sort of in reference, sorry, Chuck, to, you know, how they always talk about those Hawthorne sides where over, you know, how they won so many across like a decade or so. It's, you're spot on. It's a different team, but just as a club, I think um, history looking back would be, yeah, it'd be big. Yeah, exactly. You're too right there. Um, and, and at the same time, as you said, if, if the Cats lose, they have the most at stake. But, you know, you're hearing the rumours of the, the big free agent they're trying to bring down to the Cats, and <laughs> they could still be in the market for a couple more years to come. But this is their biggest moment, and it's their big send-off for Gary. And who knows, maybe it could be a big send-off for Joel if they get the win. Mm, I'm, I'm hearing um, that also, Chuck. I, I, I won't elaborate any further, but I certainly agree with both of you. But, um, oh, geez, I, I certainly think that it does connect. I, I think with having Taylor, Hawkins, Duncan and Selwood uh, and obviously Chris Scott um, bridging the gap between 2011 and 2020, I think it, it does still count. It's still, you know, a heartbeat is still there from from that grand final. So it's a, you know, it's a big, it's a big stones throw, but you can still make it to the other side. Um, and I, you know, we were there, you know, it's not like we fell away for, for 10 years. We've been there every year. We've been in the top four mm. tiers. How many of those years that we've missed the grand final and we've been there every year and, you know, mm. probably 2013 was the one we should have made. 
And it feels like mm. if, we'd, if we'd made that grand final, at least that would have bridged the gap between 2011 and this year. But um, certainly, I think he, it, it's it's the same legacy, the legacy of the of the AFL era. And you know, it would it would go on with the same players. You know, you know, Harry Taylor would become a oh, sorry, Joel Selwood would become a, a four time Premiership player in, in the one team. So it certainly links up to his. Yeah, now some really astounding points there, guys. Uh, obviously, the winner, gosh, it's uh, they'll be crowned very highly. I think Cats, there'll be four flags in 14 years. And Richmond, if they win, it's three in four years. So, mm. automatically, and it's so interesting, Geelong yes. era from <laughs> 2011, isn't it? 2007 mm. to 11, three in five years. So, that means if Richmond go back-to-back, that automatically supersedes Geelong's yep. era, yep. which was one their arguably the best year of the club's ever had. So that's, there is so much on the line in this game from a historical standpoint. If the Cats lose, Richmond jump them immediately. I don't, I don't think they'd want that. And mm. I'm sure there'll be players everywhere acutely aware of that. Um, the loser, obviously, Richmond all of a sudden have been the best team for four years that have won two flags. That's still good. But mm. when you've gone, been bombed out in a 2018 prelim final, um, expected to go on all the way, and, um, yeah, I mean, you never, you, you're rarely going to win all, all of them, and you, you do occasionally lose one. Geelong, uh, 75% uh, in grand finals since 07, obviously. They um, just just one little hiccup there uh, for the Cats in, in the, on the big stage. And mm-hmm. uh, the Tigers, obviously, uh, they went down the prelim but haven't lost one yet. So I feel like you, when, you're, when your side's in a potential area, you're not going to win all of them. We saw Hawthorne 2012, they went down to the Swans. Um, before they won their three, and Brisbane obviously won three in a row, but then um, their hiccup against Port Adelaide uh, in 2004 when Port finally broke the drought there for themselves, and I'm, I'm hoping that means that Richmond get their turn of losing one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hope for more than anything, yeah, but they lose it, severe ramifications, and I suppose uh, Geelong, whether they have a last stint at it, it sounds like they are with all the players linked to them, um, one last stint in 2021, but yeah, as short, short summed up pretty well, Richmond just do as they do and they, they'll still be uh, in probably yeah, top eight, top six easily next year, I would imagine, um, all depending on how that goes. But Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think we so, sort of um, merged the next question in with we uh, have. who has <laughs> the most at stake in this game. So we'll go to another quick little break here, Tiz, and we'll come back with a pretty big uh, question, Ooh, yes. which is the, uh, the biggest and most important matchup for the game. All right. Now on to the big one. The biggest and most important matchup for the game, ladies and gentlemen. Who is going to have the biggest say here? What's going to happen, Shorty? Yeah, I'm going to really go out on a limb here, but I think big games come down to the best players and the superstars, and I think whoever is accountable or however the teams go about it, Martin and Dangerfield, that, that's what it is for me. I think... They are the fanciers to have the biggest say, and there's a reason for that. I think if either side can get on top of one, you know, curb the influence of, of one of those players, um, and conversely, if one of them gets off the chain or both, they're going to go a long, long way to sending their side to the premiership. So I've really gone left field there, boys. So um, sorry about that, but what do you reckon, Chuck? <laughs> left field. <laughs> I love the left field in this yeah. So I'll be on, on that point. I... Going to go against the grain of Tiz's roadmap, maybe here, the blueprint, and say, Ooh. I don't think the Cats will tag Dusty, and I don't know if they really should. 
I'm thinking oh dear. <laughs> if you have a player like Cam Guffrey, you know, standing alongside him in a battle for the ball, you know, it's going to be a good, tough contest. And I think Geelong's trying to back their midfield in a lot more and back these guys to win the win the contest. If you're taking away, you know, the performance of Guffrey, well, I think Guffrey's really the only player you would consider putting on to tag a, a Dusty in the midfield because it's the only one who's got the experience, I think, doing it in the could past. Could we see Joel Selwood not tag necessarily but provide a real accountability around the stoppage? He seemed to do it a little bit against Neil. Yeah, I, I was going to bring that point up too, short, but... You know, they were highlighting Selwood not having an, an impact in the first quarter, but Neil didn't have much of it either because Selwood was playing on him, it seems. So I think that's a really good point. So certainly around the stoppages, Selwood's an absolute ball and can get the ball out and can certainly lay tackle pressure. But I think around the ground, you know, around um, outside stoppages, Guthrie's going to um, take Dusty there. And I think if Dusty goes forward, it's Colin Ashty's job and they've got to communicate really well about making sure that... You know, when Dusty does go forward, you don't get a situation like against Port where Darcy Byrne-Jones was manning Dusty in the middle of the ground. Dusty goes forward and Trent McKenzie sort of loosely picks up Dusty and he goes forward and kicks that first goal. And it was really poor transition and handover. And Richmond got a jump start to that game because of that poor transition handover. So got to be really smart about how you uh, how you tackle Dusty. And I like Chook said, I don't think we'll tag him. Oh, sorry, I don't think Geelong will tag him, but... You certainly need to be accountable on him, Tiz. Yeah, very nicely said, guys. I'll, um, yeah, well, I'll go with mine. <laughs> I, the, the, the forwards defenders, uh, especially the key posts, are going to be massive, I think. Langs, you obviously mentioned before, Gary Rowan, I think. Uh, I would imagine Grimes will go to Rowan and Bolts will go to Hawkins, I think. Those guys there, and then down the other end, I think Henderson will go to Rebold again, and Taylor will take uh, Lynch. Although I do think the Blitzar should go to Lynch if it gets out of hand. But what, what I do know is it's all going to depend on the midfield as well. Um, if the delivery is perfect, um, like a platter to Tom Lynch, he's going to kick five or Real's going to kick five. So um, a lot of that is going to depend on how it goes in the coal face there. But yeah, like the number one player to stop and the number one player that's going to potentially win the game is Dustin Martin. So don't don't let Dustin Martin be the reason you lose. Um, don't get beaten by what you know. So I think if Guthrie is accountable for him um, on the outside or at the stoppage, or Joel could be at the stoppage, and then up forward, uh, Cole Jasny and O'Connor, uh, whoever's most relevant, I'd say Cole Jasny with his recent good form. Again, if our midfield's on top and um, making it hard for Richmond to you know, get out of their back line or out of the midfield. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, you, Dusty's won two Norm Smiths and I, I don't want him to see him win a third. So <laughs> stop him and you can potentially stop Richmond winning the game. Yeah, I, think I like if, that. I was just going to say, I think if someone else comes out and wins the Norm for Richmond, they tear you apart, you go, geez, fair enough. Yeah. But you're right. If Dusty comes out and wins a third, you go, well, how the hell didn't you plan saw that coming? That? Like, hmm. How on earth could you let that happen? So... I'm sure they'll have plans for if, if they don't tag him. I'm sure they'll have plans for if he does get out of control. But uh, Dusty Martin in full flight and confident is not as easy to stop. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I'd love to see Dangerfield start in the middle. Mm, yep. There you, you go. want to move him forward, you can, but I want him in the guts for that first stoppage. Go yep. for Trook. All right. I was going to say, I definitely agree. Colo is, is a smart choice 
for, for Dusty in terms of strength. You need someone that's going to be strong. I still think Dusty's probably stronger than Colo, but Colo's yeah. got the size and the height yeah. that he's mm. probably a much better matchup than an O'Connor, who I think, despite being a great footballer or a Buse, who's a great footballer, Dusty's Dusty probably still going to yeah. eat him for breakfast. And Buse is a very tough footballer. Yeah. I've seen him take a ton of people down. They say at the Cats, no one can beat a Buse tackle. But <laughs> I still think that Dusty, you know, is probably still going to be able to find a way to get through it. I think the big the big body of Colo is probably the one you want to to, to see there here's a quick one just while we're talking about that what would be your starting don't need the rucks they're obvious what would be your starting matchups in the center then each three for each team who would you be going to start this well you'd have you'd have dust you'd have dusty prestia cochin yep um tis for the cats yeah, yeah. Menegola, Guthrie, hopefully Dangerfield. Um, no, I reckon Sal would have been there. has got to be in there. Might, <laughs> Menegola might be, uh, might be out on a wing, I reckon. Yep. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll leave that to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not coaching grand finals. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> He's like, nah, I reckon Menegola's going to get out of this. <laughs> oh, boy. Goodness gracious. Oh, go, yeah, well, Philip, do, you, do you think there'll be any changes from what we just said, or what do you reckon? I was on a similar line of you want. Yeah. Selwood in there. He's ne- Selwood probably wouldn't let the coach. He'd probably overrule Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> Scotty goes, line up. Selwood just grabs the magnet and just switches it right. <laughs> <Tells him. laughs> Selwood, Selwood, Guffrey. I think Guffrey's proven a great ball winner. And then, yeah, get, start with Danger. Give him in, yeah. Get him in there. And if it's not Danger, you probably maybe Duncan just because he's, you know, t- tends to be the, the smooth, clean ball user. But I think give Danger the chance to run in there and, and smash somebody. Yeah, mm. nice. I, I guess Menegol normally plays on the wing and is receiving the ball. If he's in the guts, he'll get tackled immediately. So yep. mm. I sincerely apologise for any harm that I've caused down there. Especially the lanes. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't get oh, there. Boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, there's going to be some massive matchups. And I mean, there's going to be pl- hopefully. Plenty of goals so that these sides. Uh, Geelong only kicked one for three quarters last time. Who do we think is going to kick the first goal of the game? Um, the classic pub, highly... the classic pub classic. and party picks, is it? The yes. first goal. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear it, fellas. I've got a left field one, so I'll go last. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get a couple of dollars out. I'll put one dollar on each. Uh, so I just so I'm not uh, too biased. I think Gary Ablett for me and. Oh. Uh, uh, Shane Edwards, uh, yeah, a couple of random ones. Okay, uh, first goal okay. scorer. I'll pick. I'll just pick a random one. I will go with Brandon Parfit. Dylan Grimes, <laughs> Parfit. Nice. You want to throw a dollar down on the Tigs, or are you happy to just back in Parfit? Yeah, give us one for the Tigs, Chook. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Marlon Pickett. Oh, okay, wow, well, hey, you should be rich if I'm going to get Lang. Sorry, Langs, I just realised you mentioned that you yep. were going last. Yeah, go for so it. So I'm going to go Shy Bolton for yep. the first goal score for Richmond. Uh, from a Geelong perspective, I'm still stewing and thinking, but I reckon Gary Rowan. Righto. Um, for... Richmond, it, it, Tom Lynch is the clear just first goal scorer, I think. Yeah, it's pretty left field, mate. Yeah. No, that, that, that wasn't my left field one, mate. That was the Richmond one. For, um, 
for Geelong, I reckon not only <laughs> will this man be the first goal scorer, but I think this man will oh kick boy. three goals. Oh boy. On the Irishman? No. Brian Myers has the oh. game style to oh. absolutely just dominate a grand final. We've seen him do it in the TAC Cup, and I think he, um, I think he's that sort of player that you know nearly gives me heart attacks every time I watch him play. But when he when it comes <laughs> off, it really comes off, and I think he could be someone. He played really well against Richmond in that prelim last year. You think he kicked two goals he off the did. top of my head, he and he did. was absolutely buzzing around everywhere, short. Oh, yes, um, he was. I'm, I'm backing my man. Well, sorry, he's not my man because I've had it on him all year and I think he's that's a terrible <laughs> thing at times. But I'm actually backing him to kick three goals and I think he'll be lively and, and I hope he kicks the first goal. God, I hope you're right. Too. Yeah, that good would luck, be... Good luck, Liam Baker. Yeah, yeah you're well... Backing you're backing our man, Tom Lynch, as well? Yeah, it's not my man. There's a lot of our <laughs> oh, man today, but uh, no. Well, good good stuff on the goal scorers, fellas. Um, Norm Smith. So we can only choose one here, and we can't oh choose the same one. Oh boy! I'll, I'll, I'll start us off very quickly and go Dustin Martin. Let's <laughs> go completely against all my theories, but uh, they, I reckon just based off the fact that they just will yep. find a way to get it to him, even though Badger Hooley's probably deserved it twice. But that's all yeah. cool. I, well, I already have three bets on the Norm Smith going. <laughs> So sorry to break your rule, Angus, but I, I have a major bet on Dangerfield, a small bet yeah. on Menegola, and a small bet on Bolton. Yeah, oh, that's interesting because I, I was going to put up Menegola as well. I reckon he's a, a massive yes. chance to... Uh, but um, Damaging sort of player. The storyline has Martin or Dangerfield winning it. What do you reckon, Chuck? Yeah, that's probably the cliche one you'd probably go for, but I think the role that... Danger's been playing, and if we see him playing up forward more, maybe he won't get as much of the ball and do as much. I'm going to go with Cam Guffrey to mm, be. Nice I think nice. he is a big player. It was it was a toss up between him or Duncan, and I think mm. Guffrey's the guy who's going to win the ball. And also, he's got the long blonde locks. He'll be noticeable. I think his beard's still out. The umpires will notice him. And they're, oh, it's not even the umpires, the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the All-Australian panel. I think he's going to win it. And my, 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 you know, pretend, my potential one was going to be Blitzavs if he somehow gets a bunch oh, of, yeah. like, um, accepting yeah. marks and stuff in that role he played last week. Yeah. Very nice. Stop. Tommy Hawkins would be uh, one I'd pick for the Cats. Hopefully the ball delivery is good. Uh, that's the yeah. only reason he'd win it. So, yep. um, yes. Someone's got, to kick it. Someone's got to kick it to uh, Hawkins, though, and they, they're normally they the ones do. that win the North Smith. So. Yeah. Agreed. He's going to have to have a big day out. He's probably going to kick four or five to potentially win it. But we've talked all North Smiths, mm, you know, goal scorers, and who it favours, who doesn't favour. But we, we can't beat around the bush anymore. We need a tip, guys. Who I'm do you reckon, Mr. Short? Oh, boy. Um, I'm sweating. I'm going to tip Richmond. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> I can hear you grinds. I'm just I've got my AFL Unlimited cap on, Jake. I'm taking yep. from the most non-biased angle I possibly can. I hope I am wrong. Absolutely, I do. But I just think their game style concerns me. Um, at the moment, I've probably got it sixty forty Richmond. If you'd like a bit of a read in that regard. I just think there's more ways the Tigers can win. I think there's probably only one, one way this game pans out and the Cats win. But uh, 
Go Cats, mate. I hope I'm wrong. What do you reckon, Chuck? Wow. Yeah, 60 to 40 points. You reckon they're going to win by that? <laughs> that was a percentage. <laughs> I reckon... Actually... What I've said the last few weeks, I've said, I'll say it again, just reiterate the statement. Oh I think the Cats have a lot to fight for. These tough nuts are going to be going as hard as they can. Danger's finally made a flag. He is not going to be holding unless he gets bloody injured. I reckon the Cats are going to be going as hard as they can. Guffrey's going to stand up. Duncan's going to stand up. They've all been standing up. Menegola, they're going to fight hard for their captain, fight hard for Gary Ablett, their retiring legend. And I think the Cats are going to capitalise and win. And I think if the Tigers get caught off guard, they might struggle to get back back in it. With, with that chaos game style, if they you know get down, they might not be able to catch back. So I'll go for the Cats, but... I don't, I don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything like that. I think Richmond's going to be there the whole way, you know, biting at their heels. Cheers, mate. I wonder Go who you're it. going for, Langs. <laughs> my head, my heart, my body and my soul think Geelong's going to win. <laughs> yes, please. Oh, mate. I've never seen a more confident man throughout grand final. And, and this, is, this is... The most respectful confidence. I'm not cocky. I just, I just, I've said it for the last couple of weeks to you guys. I just feel like there's something in the water. It feels different. Look on Dangerfield's face. The couple of videos that the cats have released of them running out into the ground. You know, Selwood against Brisbane. He's running out. Don't come out into this ground unless we're going to be aggressive. Enjoy the fight because we're going to be back here next week. I just think words like that. You know, they give me goosebumps and they make me want to go and murder someone if Selwood talks to me like that. But <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, I, I think Geelong is going to win. Someone. Oh, um, nice tip there. And I'm sure Trent Cotchin is doing exactly the same thing, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we're seeing, we, we've got great access into the Cats rooms and it's been a pleasure to see that footage. Who am I tipping for the big game? Well... If, any, if my history is anything to go by, that might <laughs> determine it. Um, I, I think when a team like Richmond comes along, they're cocky and arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, think they think nothing stinks. They're the best in the world. I hope it comes back to bite them. However, I think Richmond will win. That I feel like the Hawthorne era, the Brisbane era, Geelong to an extent uh, in their 07 to 11 journey, but when they make it to grand final day, not much goes wrong. Um, and you can pretty much bank on them. Like if you face Hawthorne in the grand final, good luck kind of thing. Um, this will be Richmond's toughest opponent, I believe, to ever face in a, a grand final. Oh, I don't know about ever, but Added definitely in recent times. Yes, definitely. That yeah. They've had a GWS Giants mob who were absolutely cooked and fell into the grand final after... <laughs> After um, pretty much just stopping the game uh, with 10 minutes to play against the Pies. I think Adelaide and shot themselves during Adelaide, the Adelaide, uh, they just choked. So, um, yeah. De- definitely some good wins, and, you know, but uh, it'll be very interesting. I-, I think, yeah, Richmond get it done with just the way they go about it. They, they find, Shorty said it magnificently, they just find many different ways to win, and they're very adaptable and flexible. I feel like we have to get plan A working, and if we don't, we might be sort of up against it. I feel like the Tigers have plan A, B and C that can still execute nearly as well as plan A. So 
I hope, I hope I'm as wrong as anything I've ever been, but uh, 55, 45 is my rough uh, percentage-wise sort of tip as well there. And, and regardless of the result, what an amazing, amazing season we've had. And the winner of this flag, I think it's, you know, we were talking about it being an asterisk on this flag, and I think it's going to be an asterisk for you know, the other way, not that it's not a real season, it's it's the realest season ever. And the fact that the team's won this, you know, two Victorian teams who's been out of mm. their comfort zone for 100 days, they've gone up to a, a random state to play. They thought they were going to be there for 30 days, 20 days. They, they've ended up being there for 100 days. It's a neutral venue. It's, it's probably the... <laughs> if this was at the G, the place would be absolutely rocking, but... You know, whoever ends up winning this game is going to go down as one of the greatest premierships ever won. And um, fair play to both teams for getting there. Fair play to Richmond. What an absolute dynasty they'll leave if they win. And, you know, Geelong, we've talked about them enough. I think we all know what it means to us and to the Geelong um, team as a whole. Boys, it's, it's been amazing talking with you every week about the football this year. What, what, are, what are the chances we started this podcast you know, this year between all this COVID stuff and everything else that's been going along, I just hope we get some reward at the end of the season with an amazing game, regardless of the result. And, you know, I hope for our sakes that it goes our way. But, um, Chook, Shorty, Tiz, thanks for joining me this week. I feel like the magic thanks, is has, of our pod has brought us to the to the flag. <laughs> Mate, there's, there's something in the water. I'm I'm telling you, and I, I reckon next week we'll we'll be having uh, some amazing conversations either way. So yeah, we we'll will be, be going, back next week. We will be back next week. We're, we'll be going for a kick, the four of us together on Saturday to to get our juices flowing, and then we'll be settling down to watch the game separately, of course, and um, we'll be back on Monday. So. For anyone who has been listening throughout the year, thank you very much. If you are listening now, please make sure uh, to comment and say anything you need to say. Here's any last comments before we move on or? Barrack hard, boys. That's all I've got. Come on, cats. It's, it's an amazing uh, season. We'll speak to everyone next week. And, um, yeah, good luck to all the respective uh, fans out there. Catch you next week. Here we go. Bye. Go the cutters! <laughs>